morning, good afternoon, good evening, Nords. Do we have already this? Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. We got a lot to do today! As the CPU wars have begun. I think it's safe to say that without a doubt. After the stunt that Intel has pulled, but we'll talk more about that later. First things first. Once again, more, another story just to show, hey, you know that one guy, that that, that one guy, that Mr. Eagle Falcon kept talking about how cryptocurrency just seemed like the sketchiest thing on the planet because there was nothing backing it up other, other than uh, happy thoughts, hopes, and dreams. And because of that, it'd be super easy just to, you know, steal software. 49 million dollars worth of ether stolen now i originally talked about this on uh, the early burb briefing i think it was actually today's story i think i said ethereum no this is actually the cryptocurrency ether not to be confused with ethereum for some reason. Why? I don't know. The point is, is that the at the actual amount, 342,000 Ether cryptocurrency units of some form were still, I don't know what Ether call, calls their own thing. Like Bitcoin is, it's coins. It's coins, it's coins. But when you go ahead and do, say, something like this, where there's no definite unit of it, you know, what do you call it? You don't know. And quite honestly, I don't care. I'll just straight up admit that. It is still quite possibly one of the biggest heists in recent memory at least of cryptocurrency being stolen and it's not like this is all that rare there's tons of these that are done in small amounts all the time there's even moments of cryptocurrency being spoofed which just makes this sort of thing even worse I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. Don't invest in cryptocurrencies unless you study it well and do short-term trades. I would never, underline, never invest in the long-term for cryptocurrency. That being said, I did contemplate setting up my own cryptocurrency mining rig in the server room long ago, I decided against it. Although, not going to lie, the Ethereum thing, that, it's, it's surgeons. It was pretty tempting. Instagram and Facebook went down 
over the holiday weekend. We recently had the holiday Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And during that time, Facebook just collapsed. Facebook themselves says it was all due to a software malfunction within their own systems. I mean, it would have to be, right? Facebook has so many redundant servers, there's no way one guy chopping a fiber line would have knocked out large chunks of Facebook. It's not like a setup like mine where it's, one server rack, and one dedicated box for that one service. There's multiple servers that are dedicated to Facebook, not just to handle the volume, but in redundancy, just to make sure that this sort of thing can't happen, that a dead hard drive doesn't result in Facebook throwing 404 error codes. And yes, it happened to Instagram as well, since Instagram and Facebook are one and the same. There aren't all that many reports saying how many of Facebook's services were cut off, but people are saying, quote, it, it, there was trouble accessing Facebook's entire family of apps. At what point are we just going to say, you know, Facebook, it's just not worth it? What you're doing, what what all this is going on right now, it, it's just not worth it. Because no matter how hard we try, Facebook just seems to let us down when we want to count on it the most. Maybe it's who knows. Maybe maybe they'll maybe they'll get maybe they'll shape up. I kind of doubt it though. One day, one day we might be free of Facebook. Shifting gears radically. The Sega Genesis Mini got a substantial price cut before the Black Friday holiday. The mini console is, as most other mini consoles are, a physical representation of the original Sega Genesis, or in the case of the other ones, whatever console they're supposed to be lookalikes of. Complete with working switches, or at least switches that feel correctly, and the thing is loaded with an emulator and pre-installed games that, unlike most emulators, are actually legit. I'm not saying that other emulators are not legit. I am saying that most emulation is considered in a legal gray area. So these mini consoles are one of the only ways to get access to these kinds of games without flirting with any sort of moral and legal gray area. And that's just pretty much the way the way it's been. But more importantly, the fact that this was done before 
Black Friday, it does make me wonder. Is the trend of many emulation boxes starting to go away? This could easily also be just, hey, we're going to do this before Black Friday to get headlines. I mean, it worked. I'm talking about it. But then again, I'm also talking about it because I didn't realize there was a Sega Genesis Mini. Like, real talk. Who knew? Any of you in the chat? Any of you listening right now? Probably a decent number of you. These almost completely fell off the radar because of one simple reason. Overexposure. That's all people were talking about for a while. The SNES classic, the SNES classic, people were wondering, when's there going to be an N64 classic? Oh, Sony released their PlayStation classic. And oddly enough, it was right around the time the PlayStation classic came around because that was a flop. Because it was a box that contained two games worth mentioning in a library of classics. But there is one thing that still baffles me to this day, and I am baffled that Nintendo hasn't done it themselves yet. Why isn't there Wi-Fi built into these things? Why isn't there an online store made for these things? It's the biggest no-brainer in all of existence. Wouldn't you buy an NES Mini for like 30 bucks? That had no games, but then pay like, you know, five bucks per game. On paper, numbers wise, it catches your eye. And it might be sold as a loss, but heck. Very quickly, selling those ROMs and giving a legal. And that's the important thing here a legal path that isn't flirting any sort of gray area to get whatever game they'd want. It's golden. It's brilliant. Now, unfortunately for Nintendo in my world, um, I would still need to rely on a PC emulator since I do a lot of randomizers and there's no way that Nintendo would allow sideloading of ROMs. But there's a thought for you. Nintendo, Sega, Sony, Microsoft. There is an idea that should 
be a no-brainer. And then, heck, you control the platform. You control the ecosystem. And it's something that even after you make the initial sale of the mini console, it is almost guaranteed revenue down the road. I'm just saying. Europe is running out of IPv4 IP addresses. Oh, God. All right. So what the heck did I just say? So normally right now in the networking world, by the way, we shifted gears radically again. Normally in the world, you think of IP addresses as something like uh, 16.18.20.22 or something like that, right? Four sets of up to three digits separated by a period. That's an IP address. And then there's certain other rules like... um, 192.168 is reserved for internal IP addresses as well as 10 dot whatever dot whatever dot whatever. Those are reserved for internal networks. And then, of course, 127.0.0.1 is reserved for communicating with yourself. So... These are all referred to as IP version 4 IP addresses. And we are starting to run out. Now, new IP addresses will more than likely start popping up, but this pretty much all started when smartphones really took off. Because now all of a sudden, the moment my phone, for instance, leaves my house, It is no longer connected to the Wi-Fi here. Now it's connected to the cell network. And now it needs its own IP address. Whereas before, all the computers in my lab, in my studio, in my whatever, all share the same IP address externally. Internally, it's not. It, It uses all internal IP addresses. The problem here is that we are starting to run out, which is making the push for IPv6 much larger. And I'm not going to lie, I am not looking forward to it. But it is going to be something that needs to be done down the road. IPv6 uses a completely different format. I can't remember the format off the top of my head. But it is long, obnoxious, and more than likely a ton of legacy software shifting from IPv6 will not work. Like, I don't think my uh, RO servers, for instance, would survive a shift to IPv6. And that would just be the end of them, the end. 
That being said, though, operating systems have been capable of handling IPv6 since I want to say XP even has the ability to handle IPv6. But if you're worried about your own network and not worried about legacy server software that you've been running as a hobby, you're fine. You are absolutely fine. Just expect this to become a big deal. And know that in the end, it's not that big a deal. Kind of like how Uber is assuming that losing its license to operate in London is not a big deal. Uber lost the permission to operate their ride-sharing service in London. That's a big problem. But, uh, you know, what's Uber to do? Well, uh, right now, it's fighting a legal battle. Trying to get their service back up and running in London. But here's the thing to keep in mind. Uber continues to operate under a lie. I am not saying this as someone who hates Uber. I am saying this because it's true. The premise of Uber is the fact that you are sharing a ride. You are not. You are not sharing a ride at all. You are a taxi. Like, let's be real for a second. Ride sharing is, say... I'm heading out to to my grandmother's out of town and a friend of mine wants me to pick him up at the gas station and drop him off at the mall, which is along the way. That's ride sharing. When you work for Uber, when you work for Lyft, when you work for any of these sort of companies, there is something you must Keep in mind. When you fire this up, you don't have a destination in mind. You are driving them where the customer who is paying you is sending you. No one uses Lyft, uses Uber. As a ride-sharing service. They use it to give someone else a ride straight up. This is called being a taxi. Now, as far as the argument of whether people who work for Uber are independent contractors or employees, you can make arguments either way. I side on the fact that they are, in fact, independent contractors because those who work for Uber set literally them everything themselves except the cut that uber gives them 
when you have that much control, you're tend to look at as an independent contractor. But the thing is that when Uber came in, they wanted to keep running on this lie that you that they aren't operating as taxis. And that's where the whole thing starts up. That's why Uber is not able to function anymore in London. Because there are restrictions put on taxis. And Uber doesn't want to do that. When push comes to shove, what Uber really should do is just admit the truth. You're not a ride-sharing service. You're a taxi. Lyft, you also aren't a ride-sharing service. You're a taxi. Period. End of story. There is no secret there. And because of them trying to continue doing this lie of, oh, we're not technically a this or a that or the other thing. This is the trouble they get in. And I don't feel sorry for you at all. Shifting gears a bit, New York City has approved a ban on all flavored e-cigs in the, the entire city. This is something that still amuses me. The way this whole thing goes go, went down, and I want to restate, here's how things actually went down. Teenagers who vaped were found to have severe lung damage as a result of e-cigarettes. The thing is that these e-cigarettes that the overwhelming majority were found with were not filled with the normal e-cigarette liquid. They were found with THC in it, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. In addition to other chemicals that were used to get the THC in a breathable liquid. And here's the thing. Recent research, and I don't know if I talked about this on Eagle Eyes on Tech or the early bird briefing at all. It's been found that that extra liquid that was used to get the THC into the e-cigarette, that's causing the damage. Because of the volumes they have to use in order to make the THC actually be able to be vapable, breathing that high of a dosage is what's causing all of this. This has been confirmed by the U- by the U.S. Department of whatever the heck it is because I can't remember the acronym off the top of my head. However... However, there is still the problem of flavored e-cigarette devices and, more importantly, the branding behind them 
being, quote, highly attractive to kids, which has prompted the ban. I, I All right, let's let's get real for a second here. First off, yes, th- there is a problem with the fact that the e-cigarette companies feels that in order to try and attract their intended market of adults, they make it look like something attractive to children. I don't know whether it says something about young adults that were actually children, says the guy who uh, almost every night plays video games for an audience and acts like a child on camera. But in the end, the banning of all flavored e-cigarettes is ignoring the point. It is a problem That these e-cigarettes, which normally have nicotine in them, which is a very addictive chemical, are getting in the hands of of children. That is a problem. Do not misunderstand. But this whole thing started with the THC black market e-cigarettes. But everyone, underline, everyone is focused on the flavored e-cigarettes. Ignoring the ones on the streets that caused the lung damage in the first place. All evidence right now shows that normal vaping devices are not harmful. Other than the fact it gets you addicted to nicotine and then, well, you're, you're now addicted to nicotine. That's a, that's a problem. But it's not like a regular cigarette that's going to give you cancer! But we still insist on focusing on the flavored ones. I do not fully understand what is with this focus. I'm trying to think of a good analogy and I can't. It's just a silly, silly way to go about it. Oh, well. We're going to take a break here when we come back. The CPU wars between Intel and AMD and also the war between Ford and Elon Musk. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. Ford and Tesla. I don't know why this is now a huge fight, but they're fighting now. (laughs) So, of course, we talked about Tesla revealing the Cybertruck, which um, the internet as a whole has starting to grow more to liking the Tesla truck. I still hate it, by the way. 
as far as being a functional pickup truck, it is terrible. The only thing about the Cybertruck I like is twofold. One, the stainless steel body, I think, does look pretty nice. And also, the shutter door cover over the bed of the truck is also nice. The angles are terrible. The snout is terrible. The interior, I think, is, you know, lackluster. And the lack of a gauge cluster is still infuriating to me as someone who drives professionally for a living. I'm sorry, but just seeing the speedometer out of the corner of the one screen is unacceptable. Period. Anyway, I'm getting off that tangent. During the presentation, Elon Musk said that the Cybertruck could easily tow one of their competitors' trucks. And their target for that was the Ford F-150. You want to know why they picked that truck? Because the F-150 is aluminum! The whole point of the modern F-150 is the fact that it's an aluminum truck, that it's lighter, that we can save fuel by just using high-strength aluminum, making the truck lighter. So, of course, they picked that truck as the lightest, biggest vehicle out there. But here's the point I also made during... uh, the early bird briefing in which I talked about this. The tow rating on the Cybertruck and also the size of the Cybertruck, in addition to the weight, I actually question whether this is a fair comparison. The F-150 is what's referred to as a Class 1 truck. Hence, the one in F-150. I wonder if the fully specced out Cybertruck in its weight class would still be a class one truck. Would it be a class two? In which case, then, it would be going up against the F-2. 250. And the F-250 is rated to tow 30,000. The Cybertruck's rated to tow 14,000. That's one thing I've kind of wondered. But in any case, Ford says that they do not need to prove anything. They don't need to, to go ahead... And have a tow-off battle with the Cybertruck. That's crazy. We don't need to do that. So, of course, what does Tesla respond with? It's pretty much it. It's exactly what he said.
what do you expect from Elon Musk? They basically went and implied that Ford is chicken. So this is going to be a spat for a while. And of course, one of the first things that pops up Tesla implies that they have over 250,000 Cybertruck orders. That's an intimidating number. A quarter of a million orders for the Tesla pickup truck. This is not the same as actually buying the vehicle, though. Because here's the thing. You don't pay the full 40000 50000 60000 whatever it is, for the Cybertruck. To put in an order, you only need to put in a deposit of $100. That's it. And it's refundable, remember. There's no risk. So, hey, if you, too, are curious about this, what looks like an oversized DeLorean rendered on a PlayStation 1, just 100 bucks, and you can save your place in line. Uh, uh. This is the game that Tesla plays. Because now, hey, we're sitting on $25 million to help actually make the blasted trucks. And we already know, hey, once they get off the lot, once they start selling, we can now afford to pay back the inevitable over half of the people who then go, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't want to buy a truck that looks like it was that looks like it was rendered on a P on a Nintendo 64. Maybe I don't want something that looks impressive from a 90s arcade. Maybe, just maybe, maybe I don't want to get a vehicle that is described to be tough that they threw two shot puts at and shattered the glass at. Maybe I don't want to get a, get a truck from a company that described glass as liquid metal. Or no, what was it? Not liquid metal. Transparent metal. Just Maybe. Don't let yourself get fooled. The Cybertruck is just a vehicle. A lot of people are starting to warm up to the idea. Eventually, we're going to start seeing these things on the roads. However, I am willing to bet there are going to be some drastic changes to the vehicle. For starters, they need to add rear view mirrors. 
They just do. That steering wheel they have, it's going to change to a standard steering wheel because it's literally required by law. And I'm willing to bet the whole hype of transparent metal, of armor glass, and all that is going to vanish because, well, as the YouTube channel Jerry Rig Everything says, glass is glass, and glass breaks. No matter how hard you try, even bulletproof glass shatters. Fortunately for me, chat still agrees that it looks like a 90s-esque sci-fi action film vehicle. It really does. Although, I can't remember who originally said, I want to say Linus originally said that as a police vehicle, the Cybertruck does look like something that would be very attractive. And you know, I could see that. I really could. Big, heavy, durable vehicle. I think that could be where the Cybertruck fits in the most. But enough about about Tesla. Let's talk about uh, the Tesla wannabe, the Ford Mustang Mach-E. This is a vehicle that I literally cannot remember... If we talked about on Eagle Eyes on Tech at all. The Mach-E is Ford's first electric vehicle that was not a laughable piece of garbage. Ford did make electric vehicles before. They made a Ford Focus that didn't sell well. But then again, the Ford Focus hasn't sold well in a while. Because the Ford Focus is about the most mundane, boring piece of nothing that ever blighted the entire car universe. Ford then made the Mach-E. An all-electric sports car. And it looks very much like a modified cookie-cutter Mustang. So basically they make... Let me explain for those who don't know. There are basically two kinds of Mustangs that Ford makes. Mustang, of course, being the sports car brand that Ford uses. There's the basic Mustangs, which look like a more aggressive sedan. That just have, like, some aspects from the Mustangs, but still have, like, a pretty good engine under the hood. And I'll still go go ahead and do, you know, absurd 0 to 60s in however many seconds. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm not going to pretend like I know. But, you know, they're respectable sports cars. And then there's the, there's the Mustang GTs. These are the ones they do limited edition of. These are the ones that look like ridiculous, over-the-top, Batmobile-esque million-dollar cars. The Mach-E looks like... The former, a basic sedan, except that the front grille is replaced with a colored plate 
The headlights are altered quite a bit. It's all LEDs. The charging port is at the front. Because for whatever reason, whenever anyone but Tesla makes an electric vehicle, they put the plug for it at the front of the vehicle. Instead of at the back, where you'd normally have the gas cap. I'm not entirely certain why. But they do it that way. In any case, enough about the Mach-E. Let's talk about how it sold out. It sold out. You can no longer get this vehicle. I just spend, I don't know how much time describing. The Mach-E has officially completely sold out in the U.S. A handful of European countries are still offering it. Every other company that has tried an electric vehicle so far has flopped. The Volt kind of sold well because it was that hybrid between being all electric and still being able to pump in gas to recharge it. The Leaf, well, it got tech headlines when it first came out, but I mean, have you heard numbers? Have you seen a Leaf? I've seen two. And the only reason I see one of them is because I work next to a yoga studio. And pretty much every hippie in existence goes to a yoga studio. So all I'm going to find are the all-electric vehicles, all the, all the I'm-saving-the-environment hybrids. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with hybrids, just the, the smugness that comes with them is bothersome to me. I'm just saying... The point is, is that marketing an electric vehicle as an alternative gasoline has failed. The Volt failed, the Bolt failed, the Leaf failed, the electric Focus has failed, and every other electric vehicle that wasn't from Tesla has failed. Ford finally figured out that two plus two equals four. They realize the reason Tesla is doing well is because it's not just an alternative to gas. It is not just an environmentally friendly vehicle on paper. It is not just an eco alternative. People want the Model S Because it has performance. Because it is a slick looking vehicle. Because it has all these cool features. They get it. Because it's performance. And. An alternative to gas. 
that is why the Mach E exists. That is why the Mach E is selling. Because there's no compromise to getting the Mustang Mach E. And as JT Nori just pointed out in the chat, the Prius sells incredibly well. Why? Because again, there's no compromise. You can sell environmentally friendly as the Prius does, but you're not sacrificing anything by getting a Prius. It's just a better choice because it is. It's not like the Leaf where it's just like, well, you can get it, but uh, you have no trunk. You seat five pe- people about as comfortably as co- as coach class in an airlines. And you look like a giant shoe. And you get 80 miles on a single charge. Have fun, kids. The same thing with the Bolt and the Focus. They were slow, short range. It was just like, why? That was the other thing I didn't point out in all of this. The range. Tesla had the range. From the get-go, 200 miles on a single charge. About the same as you'd get. Well, close to what you'd get on a gasoline vehicle. Might depend on the vehicle, actually. I know mine is like. 300 on a tank, but I digress. That's why it's doing well. So let's, we'll see how things go, but we could finally start seeing someone other than Tesla make electric vehicles. This could be the shift away from gasoline. I have no good transition, so let's just shift gears. We talked about last week how Stadia from Google just didn't do freaking anything. (laughs) How else can you describe the launch of Google Stadia? They didn't promise they didn't fulfill their promise on latency. They didn't pro- they didn't fulfill their promise on the game volume. They didn't promise any they didn't fulfill anything. And probably the biggest broken promise was 4K 60 frames per second. Stadia is already dead, and I have no idea how the heck Google Stadia is going to recover. Well, what what else can you say? I mean... No matter how you look at it, it's still a lie. But Google has responded. Don't worry. Google has responded. Google has stated 
And I quote, Stadia streams at 4K 60 frames per second. And that includes all aspects of our graphics pipeline from game to screen. We give developers the freedom of how to achieve the best image quality and frame rate on Stadia, and we are impressed with what they have been able to achieve for day one. We expect that many developers can, and in most cases will, continue to improve their games on Stadia. Translation. It's not our fault that developers and the game developers can't do the 60-40k thing. That's your excuse! Really, Google? You get on a stage and tell me your system is going to run on four Ryzen cores per instance of streaming on Stadia. It's going to run on a Vega 56, but you're going to try and tell me the freaking developer is the reason you uploaded a lie? How dumb do you think we are? I said from the moment, the instant in what was it, June, that they went ahead and advertised what their specs, how they were able to accomplish their promises, I said there is no freaking way that they are going to be able to accomplish what they're promising with that hardware. There is no way. My freaking Z440 has a better shot at doing that than they do. I'm going to be honest. I am not going to sugarcoat it. I never sugarcoat, at least on this podcast. Stadia is already dead. It is dead to the world. There is not a gamer on the planet that is going to touch Stadia. Not a single one. Because all they're going to hear is Google lied. It's the developers. You lied. And you know what the best part is? It's not even available to the general public yet. The whole point of Stadia was the fact that you didn't need to invest in hardware. That was the whole point. And what do we get? Nothing. You get launch problems, latency problems, and failure. I've got a Steam link sitting over, where is it actually? Where's my Steam Link? I have a Steam Link over here somewhere, and that does a better job than Stadia. 
Every single employee involved with Stadia is not going to have a job by 2021. I guarantee it. The engineers might be shipped off, but this marketing team, this launch team, is going to be dead to Google. Their careers are over. They screwed up, and they screwed up big. By the way, another fun fact about Stadia, the whole point was that you don't have to update anymore, right? Yeah, they messed that up too. NBA 2K20 glitched out for a number of users and actually showed that the game was updating when they tried to launch it. Wow. Just, just wow. Alexa is going to be getting a update soon. And I apologize to everyone that I just, because I just said the forbidden word and activated your Amazon Echoes. I apologize for that. The Echo Assistant is going to be getting an update that is going to have the Echo Assistant's voice to give more emotion. That's cute and all. That's amusing. Here's what I want to know. When I get angry at my Echo because it absolutely fails to understand the words coming out of my mouth... Will it scream and yell at me back? Actually curious about that. I, I don't mean that as a joke. I am actually curious. Is it going to yell back at me? Back at me? Eh, probably not, though. We'll see. It's, it's a nice little touch to it that and if there's any confusion the tone of the words out of the echo assistant will be more accurate to something more human sounding more happy or excited or more disappointed based on the delivery I do not think it's going to scream back in anger. I don't think it's going to, like, go into a depressive spiral or go through the stages of grief or anything like that. Just something to make it seem more like an actual human assistant. One of our uh, chat, one of the people in the live chat still wants to know when Samuel L. Jackson for 
the Echo ecosystem is coming. Because I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't mind setting an alarm for Samuel L. Jackson to tell me at midnight or later to go the to sleep. That would make my day. That might actually make me want to use my Echo a bit more often. All right, let's talk about the CPU wars and how they have escalated. So, on this past Monday, both AMD and Intel released their new highest-end non-server processors. Intel, at the stroke of midnight, released their new Core i9 Extreme Edition. Note, not actually a gold processor, that's just the picture. Someone in the chat just asked that. Not a gold processor. It's just the icon they use, but I digress. This monster is an 18-core processor, 36 threads, with a base clock speed of 3 gigahertz and a maximum turbo clock speed of 4.8 gigahertz. With a maximum all-core boost of 4.6 sounds nice right so here's the thing originally the embargo lift date and the launch date was gonna be at 8 a.m around the same time as the AMD launch. They pushed theirs up to midnight after they found out AMD's was around the same time. And they did this a couple days beforehand. You want to know why? Because they didn't want the Core i9-10980XE, which, by the way, might be the most awkward number to say in the history of ever, to be compared to AMD's Threadripper CPUs. They didn't want the graphs to show the comparison. Because even though this is Intel's most powerful desktop processor, Threadripper slaughters the Core i9. And you know what's even funnier? The Ryzen 9 3950X, which is AMD's highest-end mainstream processor. That's not on the super high-end, ludicrous, extreme platform that the Core i9 is, or what we also call the Enthusiast platform, the Ryzen 9 matches the Core i9-10980.
and the 3950 has two fewer cores. And the Ryzen 9 is $250 cheaper than the Core i9. And the Core i9, when push comes to shove, is just a refined version of the 9980XE, which was the top dog processor for Intel last year. The 10980XE is just a slight tuning of the 9980XE. And most importantly, the 10980XP is half the price of the 9980. Do you catch that? The 10980XE, the one that just launched, is only slightly faster than last year's, but half the price. It's practically the same blasted chip. There is no engineering breakthrough that made this chip cheaper to manufacture. but it costs half as much and still can't beat the Ryzen 9 processor. This was the best Intel could put out. And it can't even touch what what AMD is selling to the masses. And that doesn't even include Threadripper in the conversation. Threadripper being AMD's extreme platform that are used for content creators or enthusiasts or crazy people. Not that I fall into two of those three categories. That's crazy talk. But of course, AMD launches... The 3960 and the 3970, the two Threadripper parts, a 24-core part and a 20 or a 32-core part, and Intel literally has no answer. Those Threadripper parts are beating out Intel's server Xeon parts. And AMD has also confirmed what we've known for a while, that there is, in fact, a 64-core Threadripper CPU. The 3990X is real. A single processor with 64 CPU cores. We don't know the clock speed yet. I imagine it's going to be about 3.4 gigahertz. And Intel has nothing. Just straight up. Nothing. Wow. 
I mean, what else is there to add? AMD is sitting happy on top. And on top of that, the next gen Ryzen chips are supposed to improve per core performance even greater. Now, I don't think it's going to take very long for Intel to catch up. It's not going to be like AMD, who struggled for a decade to hope to touch Intel. But who would have thought that during that decade, AMD would actually put out the monster that is Ryzen? When I was first reporting on Ryzen, frick, four years ago was when the rumors started popping up. I thought, oh, hey, it would finally make them competent and put them in in line with the Intel Core i5s, i7s, and there could be some competition. You just can't touch AMD right now. And I imagine Intel has been taking more manpower away from reaching 10 nanometer, which has been a problem. They said they've been focusing on 7 nanometer, as they should. And if... Here's what I would expect. I would expect Intel to start hitting back hard late next year. That's what I would expect. I think Intel is going to make a huge jump. And it's also going to make people like me who have been enjoying buying six-year-old hardware and being able to outperform mainstream hardware you buy at Best Buy, that is definitely a thing of the past. I'm sorry, little Z800. You've done your best. Oh, and uh, by the way, the general mindshare now of at least Europeans, over 60%. Dang. We are quickly running out of time. We're going to take a break, though. When we come back, let's get to the weird stories. The interesting stories. Don't go away. How did I end up here? Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. Discrete GPUs are now in over 32% of PCs. Hmm, gee, I wonder why. If you couldn't tell my sarcasm, it's because, well, as of recently, there's been no huge development in integrated GPU technology. Vega on the small scale is better than the integrated Intels, but it's still not much better. And the integrated Intels, well, they're just nothing. Discrete GPUs, on the other hand, they've gotten so much better to the point where the laptop GPUs are dangerously close to what their desktop counterparts are. Back in the day, God, I feel old now. Back in the day, the mobile GTX 580 
would be nowhere close to the performance of a normal 580. I admit that's a loaded example because the GTX 4 and 500 series were... Well, yeah. (laughs) They were a hot process. And I don't mean that they were popular. So of course discrete GPUs are going to be are going to be more popular because it is the way to go if you're after actual graphic performance. Even though most, ever since Ivy Bridge, which was the biggest leap in recent history of mobile graphics for Intel, the improvements year to year have been Five, six, seven percent. And that's just not enough compared to both gaming applications and professional applications now demanding more out of the GPU. And the fact that AMD has done very little in the GPU market space is not helping. That 32%, I guarantee you 30% of that is NVIDIA. That 2% are tools who are using MacBook Pros. 100% guarantee it. And that point whatever percent, that's the other, the other manufacturers who decided that an AMD card was a good idea. Huawei is challenging the FCC in the recent decision for the FCC to ban telecoms from using Huawei equipment. The FCC has said that all telecom companies inside the U.S. should not use Huawei equipment and, in fact, should replace equipment from Huawei in its existing networks. The reason being is that Huawei is highly suspected of spying. And Huawei, of course, says you should not make a a choice like this based on only speculation. You know, if this was a year ago, I'd agree with Huawei. But here's the thing. It is no longer leaked documents about backdoors. It is no longer about suspect stuff. It has to do with actual proven Incidents in Huawei helping other governments in other countries actually spy on those on those countries' citizens using Huawei's equipment with backdoors that are put in. It's no longer a fact of speculation. It's proven. But Huawei's argument is still... You can't prove that. You can't prove that. 
You can't prove that! In a related story, no one believes you! I'm sorry, Huawei. You fight whatever you want, but, uh... You're not winning this one. No matter how hard you try. Shifting gears, the memeiest controller that ever hit the mainstream is unfortunately going away. Long ago, not too long ago though, Valve tried to do a push to get computers in the living room. These were called Steam Boxes. They were basically small gaming computers running a version of Linux that had a console-like operating system, and alongside it, they had the Steam Controller. The Steam Controller was a unique controller using underside paddles, dual triggers, dual shoulder buttons, Joystick, four buttons, you know, kind of what you'd expect, except it also had two circular touchpads. And the two circular touchpads is what made a lot of gamers just kind of shy away from it. Because, of course, there's plenty of games that use dual joysticks. Well, one of your joysticks on this is now a touchpad. And that made a whole lot of things awkward. Well, SteamOS is no longer made. No, Nobody makes Steam boxes anymore. Although I totally would. Even if it would just be Windows running Steam Big Picture mode. The Steam Link is no longer manufactured. Those who have one, like myself have a piece of history. And right now, the Steam Controller is on sale for $5 plus shipping. As the Steam Controller as well will soon be a part of PC gaming history, never to be made again. Now, I have not made a secret. I own one. I, in fact, use one quite often. My my streaming setup here, I have two desktops here. One usually has the keyboard and mouse plugged into it. My gaming PC has, not right now, though, because my Steam controller is in a bag because I had to use it for doing Jackbox with the family, but that's beyond the point. Normally, my Steam controller is used to control the gaming computer. It actually does run Steam in big picture mode, so it looks just like SteamOS. And yes, to select games and to play games that it applies to, I do use the Steam controller unironically. I actually like the Steam controller, but if I was actually trying to be good at video games... I would not touch it at all. There is no way. 
There is absolutely no way. I actually did do it for Tales of Berseria and for Nino Kuni 2. It actually was a good time. It actually felt pretty good. But, like, say if I was going to speedrun uh, Final Fantasy IV free Enterprise Randomizer, I would never use the Steam controller. That didn't stop me from trying once, though. The The emulator didn't take it. It was kind of disappointing, actually. <sighs> Rest in peace, Steam controller. Never forget. That being said, though, I did order a second one to be a backup because my setup actually does rely on one. And honestly, for like 12 bucks, which is what it comes out to for shipping, at least in my neck of the woods, it ain't bad. It ain't bad at all. Amazon is going to be bringing... The Echo Assistant to Amazon Web Services and Internet of Things core devices, which ha- which I said it that way because if I said to AWS and IoT core, you would have been absolutely confused. My Echo just triggered. Echo, shut up! <laughs> I can hear it in the other room. Oh, wow. That is the first time I have ever triggered mine all the way from the other room. All right. Well, I think think now everyone knows what I set my echo keyword to be because it was an A-L-Exa. Way too many people tried to trigger it. But anyway, yes, the Echo Assistant is going to be coming to the Amazon Web Services and to various Internet of Things devices. This means that websites will be able to have the Echo Assistant built into it. Thus making anyone who wears a tinfoil hat absolutely paranoid out of their minds. You know how a ton of people actually put like a little piece of tape over their webcam because they really don't want people to hack it and spy on them? I wonder if people are going to start coming to me to cut the wire that feeds the microphone in their laptops. There's a paranoid thought for you. In my case, I'd just be hosed. I mean, heck, I've got this big microphone in front of me right now that even when it's off, it's always hooked up to a thing. My webcam has two microphones built into it. There's probably something else there as a microphone in it. I'm pretty sure this controller has a microphone in it. They're all watching. They're all listening. Which brings us to our last burb story, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the day. Amazon, this, I kid you not, this is a real headline from Engadget. 
Amazon ends creepy program that sends samples based on purchase history. Yep, Big Brother is always watching, and Amazon had a program for a while that would just send you stuff to try based on uh, how you live your your life. How long did this program exist before Amazon realized, you know, maybe we shouldn't just send stuff unsolicited. Now, there are sample programs out there that Amazon has that they will send you send you something and then require you to leave a review and you keep the product for free. But you have to opt into the thing being given to you as opposed to just sending it, sending it to you at random. I I just don't know what to say. The fact that this program existed and that's enough people at Amazon thought this was a good idea that they rolled with it just makes me kind of wonder a lot of things. Like, a lot, a lot of things. That's going to do it for me. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please do feel free to check out my daily podcast, The Early Burb Briefing, which you can find... Wherever you found this podcast on iTunes, on uh, on Google, on iHeartRadio, at every single major podcast provider. And also make sure to check out my Twitch page at twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon. Take care, and I hope you have a good day. Hey, speaking of that review program thing, hey, Amazon, if you want to send me um, a patch panel, some uh, cat, whatever the heck highest Ethernet cable you've got, uh, maybe a thousand feet, um, oh, so some, some real nice Dell servers, some of the ones with the LCDs on the front so you can Id- identify them, the rails and, and such. You know, if you just want to send all that to me, you want to just refurbish my entire server room? That would be super swell. And I promise I will leave reviews. That's all I ask. Like, you know, like uh, 30, 40, 50, 50 grand in crazy over-the-top server gear. That would be great. Thanks. It's not happening, is it? Oh.